I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, January 30th, 2023, the 740th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, by all means, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And speaking of that merch site, I have finally updated that merch site, cancelcotour.com, and you can now purchase You Sound Vaccinated t-shirts. I have two uh, two designs. I hope you like them. I hope you get a kick out of them, but people have been asking for it, so now they exist, cancelcotour.com. And let's talk about You Sound Vaccinated for just a second, because I am loving what this uh, little phrase has become. It's starting to go wide and it is a fantastic uh, retort to anything that you see where people are still just mindlessly 
repeating the narratives that they see on television. That's what it's for. You sound vaccinated. You sound like a person who is still repeating everything the television tells you to repeat. And if they are bringing the brand new slogans from the television right to your Twitter, that is when they sound recently boosted or heavily vaccinated. If they're all in on all of these false narratives that they have been repeating now for years and years, still not realizing at all that none of it's true and they shouldn't be saying it. They just keep on going along and they are still willing to attach their whole identities to it. Heavily vaccinated, recently boosted. And I just have to say a tip when they say to you, when you're walking around the grocery store with your you sound vaccinated t-shirt on, when someone says, what does that mean? The best response is you would know if you were not vaccinated. And I have some other ones that you might want to try out if you're getting bored with the standard. Sometimes I will say you sound fully up to date on your subscription to the experimental gene therapy. And every now and then you can give them a little of the you sound like someone who made a life or death decision without considering life or death. And if one of them gets particularly upset, if you're dealing with a real demonic little communist who just wants to keep coming back at you, just simply let them know that they may well end up becoming a meme. And of course, I'm talking about the memes of the people who are pushing the vax super hardcore and then not too long after that end up dying suddenly and literally become a meme. So that's just a little introductory course to you sound vaccinated and the proper ways to use it and some variations if you might try those. And you know what? Some people have come up with variations on their own and some of them are very bad and some of them are very good. And the point is, it's yours. It's for everybody. Experiment with it. I can't promise that I'm going to like absolutely every version, but I encourage you to try. So we have had an insanely busy weekend. And part of that is centered around three videos that have a lot of strange elements to them. And I don't want to belabor any of these, but I do want to mention them all quickly. The first one that we saw on Friday was video of police officer body cam footage as they responded to the Pelosi home after receiving the 911 call from Paul Pelosi about how David DePappi had broken into his house and was about to hit him with a hammer. So the cops approach the house and there is some question they're asking back and forth about whether or not they have the proper address. You would think that cops being sent to the house of the Speaker of the House of Representatives of the United States the person second in line for the succession to the presidency, you'd think the police around there in this gated neighborhood would have a better idea of which house the Pelosi house is, but apparently not. So they walk up, they give a little knock on the door, and then they're looking around the street and having a chat and making sure the address is okay. And then they turn around and the door is opened by what may well be an unseen hand. It is not clear how that door is opened up because what the cops initially see is the door swinging open while Paul Pelosi and David DePap 
are back a few feet away from the door. Paul Pelosi is there in a button down shirt and his boxers, and he has one hand on the hammer being held by David DePap. And the cops ask, what's going on? And they say, oh, it's okay. Well, strange, automatically strange at that point. And then they're like, wait, what's going on? What are you doing? And Pelosi has a drink in his left hand, a nice fresh cocktail in his left hand, and his right hand is on this hammer. And so they start wrestling for the hammer. And then uh, DePap extracts the hammer, hauls back and uh, swings the hammer in Paul Pelosi's direction. And whatever contact that hammer would have had happens off screen. Now, people are noting that there is something that looks like a face through the windows on the left side of that door frame as the door closes by this unseen hand. People think that perhaps there's another person there. I can't tell. To be perfectly honest, I can't tell. I know what they're looking at. I can't say that I would ever bet on what that is. The whole door thing is weird. The whole scenario is weird. And we've discussed that before three months ago, back when it happened. I'm not going to get into all that now, but the video is very strange. And then there's another video that we're shown of an outside security camera with uh, David DePap breaking that back door and then entering through the back door. Now, leaving aside the strangeness of all these videos that don't themselves uh, refute the reality of these videos, we can remember how this story was described to us initially. It was described as an incident of MAGA extremist violence just a few days before the midterm elections. We were told this was all about MAGA extremism. David DePap actually has a history of writing these pro MAGA right wing blogs, except people actually examined those blog sites and found out that they had just been produced. And David DePap lives at some uh, hippie hovel and is a nudist and perhaps a pedophile, at least lives with one. And the house is adorned with uh, rainbow flags and Black Lives Matter. So the idea that he is some MAGA extremist is already insane. Now, they've also released audio of the 911 call, and they've released audio of what we are told is uh, an interrogation with the police. And I listened to that this morning. It's very odd as well. The interrogator's focus is on the political motivations that made DePap go after the Pelosi's. The idea he describes is that he was going to show them. He was going to go in and hold Nancy Pelosi hostage until she stopped doing the thing that Nancy Pelosi does. And Paul Pelosi was there. He ended up being a proxy. And once the police arrived, DePap realized this was his last chance to really do something damaging. And he knew that this is what needed to be done to save the earth from the Pelosi's, apparently. Now, it's impossible to know the hard and fast truth of all this stuff right now, and we may eventually get information that tells us what the actual truth was, but this is one of those narratives that has been so muddled from the beginning. They had such a hard time telling this story in the first place, and it wasn't just a matter of waiting for more details to emerge. There's nothing about these videos that makes that initial story more true or makes it any more believable that this was somehow a MAGA extremist attack on the Pelosi's. Too much of the story 
just does not work, does not fit, and is not true. Things we were told along the way in this story simply are not true. It's also worth remembering that the person from the FBI who wrote the affidavit about this crime got details wrong and just so happens to be a person with experience in writing affidavits for staged instances of uh, right wing violence against California Democrat politicians. They also have some audio from DePap that they say is audio of him calling into a TV station to express his desire to go after various politicians. That audio does not sound real. I don't know what else to say. We are in a very, very strange information environment. There is no reason ever to assume that what we are being shown by the regime and the regime media is true, obviously. But when we're even thinking about how true something is, we should not bias ourselves toward assuming that any of it is true. We don't have to assume that that video is true until proven otherwise or that the audio is true until proven otherwise, because it's not the sort of thing that we can just immediately prove conclusively. It's not conspiratorial thinking to admit that we can't be sure the video is real and legitimate or not, and then remain agnostic to it and not use it as something upon which we found our other beliefs and uh, something we extract moral meaning from. We need to think about it in both ways. Consider things as if the video is true and is legitimate or the audio or whatever other proof we have of any given event. Consider it as if all that stuff is true. Consider it as if all that stuff's not true. Figure out what part of the narratives they don't want people to talk about. That's usually where the truth lies. And then consider the option where the underlying events are true and we're simply being lied to about what it all means. And I know that this can be a pretty tedious exercise when you have to apply it to absolutely everything that we see and we hear and we end up having to think about in these situations, but it's still important to do it. There's no point at which we can ever reliably say, oh, they would never lie about this thing. Well, yes, they would. That's why I end the show every day saying they lied to you about a pandemic. If they're going to lie to you about a pandemic, there is absolutely nothing in the world they would not lie to you about. And it turns out that they do lie about everything. Our most important foundational beliefs, the way our society functions, and even what we as a people believe. We actually do have to dig through level after level of deception and remember that we must be discerning at all times. And I am not claiming that my discernment is right and someone else's is wrong. Everyone has to make those judgments for themselves. I'm not going to be right about everything. But what I am going to do is try to see every circumstance in as many ways as I can and apply what else I know to what it is I'm seeing. We can't just take this video and then not recall everything that we knew and were told three months ago when we first heard about this incident. That story doesn't just disappear because now we have the video and the video says the thing generally that everyone said it said. 
people on both sides of the Paul Pelosi issue think their side is supported by this video. But it actually really does matter if all of this was staged. It really does matter if there is a person behind that door that you can kind of see through that window along the door frame. If there's another person there right away, that means we are not being told the truth about this particular video. How does the door open? Now, it's easy to say we don't know how the door opened. The door just opened. Maybe Paul Pelosi grabbed the door with the hand that was on the drink and somehow swung it open. Well, that's definitely not what happened. Did David DePap open the door with his right hand? Because Pelosi's hand is on the hammer. His other hand is carrying a drink. DePap's left hand is on the hammer. So did DePap open the door and swing the door open? And if that's true, then why is he standing like five feet back from the door? So there's a lot weird about the video, and it actually does matter. If there is a person there, then all bets are off for that video. My point here is not to tie yourself to any particular position on any one of the individual aspects of this story, because all of them should be considered in doubt. And what you know beyond doubt is that we were not given the legitimate story initially. It is highly suspect at best to say that David DePap was some kind of MAGA person. And so no matter what, we know that that event, whatever happened in that event, that event was immediately used to promote a political agenda and to further the hate movement against America first people. So if they're prepared to take what could have been a deadly violent attack, right? In their telling, that's exactly what this is. If they're prepared to take a circumstance that serious and use it without pretty much any of the details to enact a political agenda, then we have to assume that they're more than happy to lie about other aspects of the incident and the overall meaning. So on Friday, I talked about George Soros specifically in relation to his name coming up in a variety of contexts in the news of the past week or so. And I was discussing his historical and international funding of political violence-oriented groups in America. It's Black Lives Matter Antifa. And BLM Antifa made their return last weekend in Atlanta, beginning to burn down cities and riot again, much of it without any narrative support at all. There was not an issue that they really had going for them that would get the public to back their cause. And it looked like we were going to see a replay of that this past Friday and Saturday, primarily in Memphis, but in other cities around the country. There was talk of Portland. A uh, police car got smashed up in New York. But by and large, it was not what we saw in the summer of 2020 in the reaction to uh, George Floyd and then the narrative exploitation of Breonna Taylor and Jacob Blake and some other incidents throughout that year. And so it's possible that to some large extent, Antifa has simply had their wings clipped and that they don't have the ability to execute the sort of incidents and displays, the rioting, the burning, the looting, the assaults, the intimidation, the shutting down of cities that they had in 2020. Maybe they are just operating in a different landscape. 
That's certainly possible. It's also possible that this story in particular about Tyre Nichols just isn't having the intended narrative effect because the truth is it's five black cops beating up one young black male victim of police brutality. Again, assuming the video is all true and accurate and the event itself was not staged, that's what we have. Five black officers beating the hell out of one black suspect. Now, there are certain indications that they may have known this person. There may be something gang related in here. These are still details that are emerging and not currently available in any way that would allow us to form conclusions about what we're seeing here. We're just seeing the video of the incident and we are expected to react only to what we've seen. What we see is terrible. That's the police doing it. Therefore, the police are terrible. Therefore, we must go after the police. Now, this was a special unit in the Memphis police called the Scorpion unit. That unit is now being disbanded and more people are calling for the defunding of police again, an issue that is not popular among anyone, including black Americans. But again, same as with the Pelosi incident, when we have an event and the narrative of that event be immediately rejected to promote a political agenda, you have to begin doubting whether or not that event is true and whether or not we are being intentionally misled about what happened in order to draw the conclusions that would support that political agenda rather than drawing conclusions that reflect the reality of the event. And I'm sure that we will learn and understand a lot more about this event as the days go on and more information becomes clear. But what's interesting is, of course, the reaction, which I suppose everyone listening to this podcast could have guessed would be coming. And that is the reconstruction of this situation as still an example of white supremacy. Five black cops beat the hell out of one black suspect. And that's white supremacy. That's what we're told. The race of the cops doesn't matter because the police are an institution that enforces white supremacy. That, in fact, is the whole purpose of policing. And it's worth noting that policing does occur in other places, including in populations where there are very few, if any, white people. They do actually have police in all sorts of societies, and they are generally not purposed with supporting white supremacy, particularly in places like India or Nigeria or Saudi Arabia or China. I'm not sure what the purpose of police there is, but I'm pretty sure it's not white supremacy. Now, the funny thing is that if it doesn't matter what skin color the cops have, then it also, in the same way, shouldn't matter what color skin the suspect has. So if it's white supremacy, even when it's black cops and a black suspect, wouldn't it also be white supremacy if it was five black cops and one white suspect? Is that still white supremacy? Is it white supremacy when five Asian cops attack one Asian suspect or five Hispanic cops with a Hispanic suspect? Is this all just white supremacy? That is what we are being told 
by the communists online. And they really want this narrative to work, I guess, because the event isn't what they wanted it to be. We're being shown something that in important ways obliterates the narrative of 2020. And so they're trying to reinterpret the event in a way that promotes the same agenda they were promoting in 2020, even though the details of the event don't work for them. And it's worth recalling how I discussed on Friday that not only the fake administration, but the media and all of the Democrat influencers online were building this situation up for days in advance of the video release. CNN was reporting on how the different media outlets covered the release of the video and how they prepared their audiences for how shocking and disturbing this video is. So it's funny, they're actually telling people, hey, here's what we were doing to prepare people's reactions, to prepare the narrative as we wanted it disseminated. We're going to make everybody understand what you're about to see is the most violent thing that has ever existed on the entire planet. So you better be ready to get really, really mad when this is over. Don't think about it at all. Don't wait to get more details. Don't research the situation. Just see the video and react how you're supposed to react. If you hesitate to react then we'll know that maybe you're not as committed to dismantling white supremacy as you say you are. So you got to go all in right away. And so the final video that came out over the weekend was released by the Buffalo Bills. They did a video with DeMar Hamlin walking into a little studio. It looks like at the Bills facility, and he records a five or six minute long statement where he thanks people for their care and support and thanks the medical staff and the city of Cincinnati and the city of Buffalo and the NFL and his teammates and people who gave to the charity and everything else. What he didn't really do much of was talk about his injury or what happened or what any of the explanation was for being off the radar for three weeks. He said that he was taking some personal time and maybe all of that is true. Now the video is again, kind of weird. There's a lot of little glitches where um, pieces are cut out and people are taking that to mean that it is a deep fake. Now, deep fake technology is good enough that this video absolutely could be a deep fake. I don't know. Okay. I know that it's possible. I'm not saying it is. And again, that's fine. We don't have to bias ourselves in either direction. We don't have to assume it's a deep fake. We don't have to assume it's real. We can understand there is at least some non-zero possibility that that video is a deep fake and that the NFL and their partner organizations and governments and whoever else are still just covering up what actually happened to DeMar Hamlin. That's entirely possible. It's also possible that this video is simply real. Now, it's not unusual to make these little cuts in these videos. You can watch any influencer on TikTok. You can watch a lot of different YouTube channels and people will often take their videos and cut out every pause in the video so that the video's length is shortened and it packs all the information into a much shorter period of time. That is kind of standard social media practice. So jumping immediately to this is a deep fake because of that doesn't seem right to me. Again, 
could totally be a deep fake, but that alone doesn't do it for me. It's worth it to stay skeptical about this stuff. You know, you don't have to come down on one side or the other. Think about it both ways. Now, I also don't think it's good when people online are continuing to say conspiracy theorist, conspiracy theorist about people who are asking questions because what they're seeing doesn't feel natural or seem natural or look natural. And it's especially amazing to me that all of the people who are always claiming that these sorts of questions are conspiracy theories or conspiratorial are people who miss so many important elements of absolutely everything that's going on because they are afraid to look at certain kinds of questions and certain kinds of stories. They're afraid to be really super critical about what we're being told. They just accept that what we're being told or what we're being shown is real to the extent we're told it's real. And then we just have to all agree that that is real and stop asking questions. You wanted a video, you've got the video. You can't question this video now because if you continue to question it, well, then you just want it to be some other way. You want it to be the conspiracy theory. You want it to be your first conclusion confirmed by this new information. And it's not like there's nothing to that. You have to take new information and think, is this actually real? Is this refuting my prior position? You got to consider it. Even if you're very confident in your prior position, you can't just uh, avoid new information and not include it in your calculations. It's okay to stay agnostic about these things and not know one way or the other. It's also okay to point out that when people are acting like they definitely know it's one thing or the other and they can't know that there's probably something else going on there. It's very strange at this point in 2023, after the last few years, to still be one of those people that shouts anyone down who is still asking questions in these situations. It's not just now this video is out, story is over, now nothing else is suspicious. Same as in the Pelosi example. The story has now been suspicious for months. You can't just erase all that suspicion by having him go to the stadium and wave his arms when we can't see his face and know it's him and then put out this video that's itself suspicious. Every new step is also suspicious. So the suspicions are warranted whether or not they actually prove out to be what people think they might be. It's actually more important to be open-minded about what's really going on than it is to just say, okay, this thing is this, and now we can just move on. We don't need to come down to some firm answer that is now unchangeable. We haven't just, as a society, decided this video is real. There's nothing else to this situation. And if you don't agree with that consensus, then you're crazy. That's not a real thing. On Friday, right after I got the show up, I jumped on Badlands Media live with uh, Zach Payne, Red Pill 78, and we discussed the latest Twitter files drop, and we had a great conversation about it. It's probably about an hour and 15 minutes, so if you're really into this subject, I suggest you go back and watch that. I'm going to try to give a faster version of that on the podcast because I 
think it's important that I do include all of these Twitter files drops on here as this situation emerges. So this is from Matt Taibbi on January 27th thread Twitter files. Number 15 move over Jason Blair Twitter files expose next great media fraud. And he includes this short meme video clip. You and your team, you guys created a website. Hamilton 60. Yes, my colleagues and I, we tracked Russian accounts. That's some bullshit. So they're literally right now, they're Russian bots, according to your website, that are putting this out into the world. Is that right. correct? That's bullshit. So that is a man named Clint Watts being interviewed by a former Daily Show contributor. And of course, they were taking Hamilton 68 and everything very, very seriously. The proof of the Russian bots. That's what Hamilton 68 purported to be giving the public. So Matt Taibbi starts out with an email from Yoel Roth discussing Hamilton 68 and the fact that Twitter's own information cannot support the narrative that Hamilton 68 is pushing out to the public. Roth writes, Yes, exactly. It's so weird and self-selecting, and they're so unwilling to be transparent and defend their selection that I think we need to just call this out on the bullshit it is. He includes another email from Roth. Unlike hashtag release the memo, this one is primarily being driven by data from Hamilton 68. I'll do another sweep for spam shortly, but as of yesterday, this looked like the right-leaning hashtag about the shutdown, which only got the label of Russian because the Hamilton dashboard falsely accuses a bunch of legitimate right-leaning accounts of being Russian bots. How we publicly push back on Hamilton is a bigger question, but I don't think there's anything too noteworthy about this hashtag beyond that. So they were trying to tie this idea of Russian bots to every narrative that was inconvenient to the regime at this point in late 2017 and early 2018. Taibi goes on once again, citing an email from Yoel Roth, where he writes, virtually any conclusion drawn from it will take conversations in conservative circles on Twitter and accuse them of being Russian. And that's something that most of us are familiar with on some level. It's especially true now and has been for the last year. Anything that is said against the war in Ukraine, suddenly you are a Russian bot. You're an asset of Russian intelligence. You've been duped by Russian propaganda. And it turns out that's just simply not true. And we've been right about the Russia-Ukraine conflict the entire time. I think our work proves that to be true. But it doesn't matter. This technique has been prevalent in the social media environment now, as we can see, for over five years. There are quotes by Twitter executives about Hamilton 68, a digital dashboard that claimed to track Russian influence and was the source of hundreds, if not thousands of mainstream print and TV news stories in the Trump years. The dashboard was headed by former counterintelligence official and current MSNBC contributor Clint Watts and funded by a neoliberal think tank, the Alliance for Securing Democracy. The ASD Advisory Council includes neoconservative writer Bill Kristol, former ambassador to Russia Michael McFaul, ex-Hillary for America chief John Podesta, and former heads or deputy heads of the CIA, NSA, and the Department of Homeland Security. And it is rather remarkable. Bill Crystal is just the shining star of 
Lincoln Project style fake anti-Trump, quote unquote, conservatism. We have Michael Chertoff, who was Bush's secretary for the Department of Homeland Security and mishandled, notably, Hurricane Katrina. We have John Podesta, who is intimately tied to the Clintons. And then we have Mike McFall, who is an Obama guy. So we basically have the establishment regime in all of their varieties and colors. We got Clinton people. We got Bush people. We got Obama people. All of it deep, deep state and all of them fully aligned against Donald Trump and the America First movement and all blamed on Russia. News outlets for years cited Watts and Hamilton 68 when claiming Russian bots were amplifying an endless parade of social media causes against strikes in Syria in support of Fox host Laura Ingram, the campaigns of both Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. And that's interesting because if you remember 2015 and 2016, Bernie Sanders supporters, the Bernie bros, etc., were causing some damage to the Clintons and to the regime because they were relentless in going after the regime. Now, they're all socialists and communists, so whatever conclusions they were reaching were the bad ones and would have furthered the interests of the regime, but they were uncovering plenty of information about how very bad the regime was. It just turned out they were totally happy to see their hero, Bernie Sanders, submit and capitulate to the regime and accept that he would have to allow the regime to install Clinton as the nominee, and he wasn't going to be given a choice about it, and neither were the voters. He took his book deal and his payoff and went and bought three houses and decided to try to have a nice life and still push his socialist causes through. You have to imagine he was made certain promises back then that weren't able to be paid off when Hillary Clinton lost. No one expected her to lose. Hamilton 68 was the source for stories claiming Russian bots pushed terms like deep state or hashtags like fire McMaster, Schumer shutdown, walk away, release the memo, Alabama Senate race and Parkland shooting, among many others. So, again, all of these issues that the regime was going to find inconvenient were claimed to be the result of Russian interference online, thereby making it more dangerous to associate with these ideas and convincing the general public that these ideas, this dissent from the regime agenda wasn't actually real and it wasn't actually American. So if you fell on that same side, what you were really doing was supporting Russia and you simply didn't care about America the way all of the people supporting the regime care about America. And of course, that is a pretty convenient switcheroo. They've been able to pull off to some degree. The secret ingredient to Hamilton 68's analytical method, a list. Our analysis has linked 600 Twitter accounts to Russian influence activities online, was how the site put it at launch. Hamilton 68 never released the list, claiming the Russians will simply shut the accounts down. All those reporters and TV personalities making claims about Russian bots never really knew what they were describing. So no one who was talking about those Russian bots actually got the list. And Hamilton 68 said that they couldn't release the list because if they released it, 
the Russians would just delete all of those accounts in order to cover their tracks. So if they put the list out, the accounts would be down before anyone could even notice them. Therefore, it's better not to release the list. Just trust us. It definitely exists. Twitter executives were in a unique position to recreate Hamilton's list, reverse engineering it from the site's requests for Twitter data. Concerned about the deluge of Hamilton-based news stories, they did so, and what they found shocked them. These accounts, they concluded, are neither strongly Russian nor strongly bots. No evidence to support the statement that the dashboard is a finger on the pulse of Russian information ops, hardly illuminating a massive influence operation. And Taibbi is citing multiple different emails here. This is something that was pretty thoroughly discussed at Twitter. There was absolutely no way for Hamilton 68 to actually substantiate its claims about Russian interference due to bot armies on Twitter. In layman's terms, Hamilton 68 barely had any Russians. In fact, apart from a few RT accounts, it's mostly full of ordinary Americans, Canadians and British. It was a scam. Instead of tracking how Russia influenced American attitudes, Hamilton 68 simply collected a handful of mostly real, mostly American accounts and described their organic conversations as Russian scheming. Twitter immediately recognized these Hamilton-driven news stories posed a major ethical problem, potentially implicating them. Real people need to know they've been unilaterally labeled Russian stooges without evidence or recourse, Roth wrote. Some Twitter execs badly wanted to out Hamilton 68 after Russians were blamed for hyping the Parkland shooting hashtag one wrote, why can't we say we've investigated and citing Hamilton 68 is being wrong, irresponsible and biased. Yoel Roth wanted a confrontation. My recommendation at this stage is an ultimatum. You release the list or we do, he wrote. However, there were internal concerns about taking on the politically connected alliance for securing democracy. They were basically scared of these Bush, Obama, Clinton and Intel community people operating the Alliance for Securing Democracy. We have to be careful in how much we push back on ASD publicly, said future White House and NSC spokesperson Emily Horn. Isn't that amazing? Just from Twitter right to the White House and NSC. I also have been very frustrated in not calling out Hamilton 68 more publicly, but understand we have to play a longer game here, wrote Carlos Mangi, the future senior advisor to Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, another Twitter employee right into the federal government working for the Department of Transportation. What's that about? So the legitimate people, as one Twitter exec called them, never found out they'd been used as fodder for mountains of news stories about Russian influence because the Twitter files contain the list they've begun finding out. I'm shocked, says Sonia Mansour, who as a child lived through civil war in Lebanon. Supposedly in a free world, we are being watched at many levels by what we say online. I've written a book about the Constitution, says Chicago-based lawyer David Shestakis. How I made a list like this is incredible to me. And Taibbi shares his Facebook profile. The guy wrote a book about the U.S. Constitution and is an attorney. He's got an American flag in the background of his Facebook page. He's just a normal American citizen who they labeled as a Russian bot. 
When I was growing up, my father told me about the McCarthyite blacklist, says Oregon native Jacob Levitch. As a child, it would never have occurred to me that this would come back in force and broadly in a way designed to undermine rights we hold dear. Even Twitter execs were stunned to read who was on the list, wrote policy chief Nick Pickles about British comic Holborn Lulls, a wind-up merchant. I follow him and wouldn't say he's pro-Russian. I can't even remember him tweeting about Russia. They're talking about a British comedian with like 75,000 followers. I'm listed as a foreign bot, said conservative media figure Dennis Michael Lynch. As a proud taxpaying citizen, charitable family man, and honest son of a U.S. Marine, I deserve better. We all do. Again, just normal Americans being caught up in this wide net to try to find anything to substantiate the claims of Russian bots and Russian influence in the spread of narratives the regime found inconvenient. Consortium editor Joe Loria, too, was angered to find he was on the list which targeted voices across the spectrum. Organizations like Hamilton 68 are in business to enforce an official narrative, which means excising inconvenient facts, which they call misinformation. That was a quote from Loria. What makes this an important story is the sheer scale of the news footprint left by Hamilton 68's digital McCarthyism. The quality of headlines and TV segments dwarfs the impact of individual fabulists like Jason Blair or Stephen Glass. And Zach and I on the Badlands show we did the other day discussed this idea of McCarthyism and how this is basically the regime enacting McCarthyism. See, McCarthyism, as it's told to us, was a too aggressive effort to root out communists in the United States. Communists, of course, are the regime. The regime agenda is a communist agenda. Now it is the regime actually making lists of political dissidents who they plan to target. And we know that this stuff has continued. Parents in school districts across the country are considered domestic terrorists for attending school board meetings and sticking up for the rights of their children. We know about the extent of censorship and political manipulation. We know we have political prisoners in the D.C. gulags, people who are locked up just for being on the Capitol grounds on January 6th, 2021. We know lists are being made about us and the history, as it was told to us, suggests that we're the sort of people who make lists and that communists are the targets. But it turns out in reality, it's not exactly like that, which necessarily must lead us to the conclusion that, hey, this might be another one of those things we've been lied to about for our entire lives. Hamilton 68 was used as a source to assert Russian influence in an astonishing array of news stories, support for Brett Kavanaugh or the Devin Nunes memo, the Parkland shooting, manipulation of black voters, attacks on the Mueller investigation. These stories raised fear in the population and most insidious of all were used to smear people like Tulsi Gabbard as foreign assets and drum up sympathy for political causes like Joe Biden's campaign by describing critics as Russian aligned. Now, I don't know why he specifically mentions Tulsi Gabbard, but she has this kind of hero aspect for normies who imagine that they're centrists in some way. 
Incredibly and ironically, these stories were also frequently used as evidence of the spread of fake news on sites like Twitter. It was a lie. The illusion of Russian support was created by tracking people like Joe Loria, Sonia Mansour, and Dave Shestakis. Virtually every major American news organization cited these fake tales, even fact-checking sites like Snopes and PolitiFact. Twitter didn't have the guts to out Hamilton 68 publicly, but did try to speak to reporters off the record. Reporters are chafing, said Horn. It's like shouting into a void. Roth was offended by the idea that tweets on certain themes suggested subversion. Can we talk about how incredibly condescending? If you talk about these themes, you must have been duped by Russian propaganda. And that's right. You don't imagine we'll have a major defender in Yoel Roth, but he's definitely correct here. It is incredibly condescending to be told by these authoritative sources in government agencies and tech companies that our thoughts are not our own and not representative of what we actually believe based on knowledge and arguments that we're more than happy to have and to share. And in the face of that, the narrative that is allowed to be spread absolutely everywhere and promoted and never censored and never restricted is indeed just a particular set of slogans handed down by an authoritative source. There actually is propaganda in this country, and there are people who have been duped by it. It just doesn't happen to be Russian propaganda, and it doesn't happen to be America first people who've been duped. Back to Taibbi. Again, even Roth, like most Twitter execs, an ardent Democratic partisan, saw that the Hamilton scheme would lead people, quote, to assert that any right leaning content is propagated by Russian bots, end quote. And it turns out that five years later, that's still happening. At least two other research institutions that use similar methodologies and were cited as sources in news stories were also criticized in Twitter email correspondence. MSNBC, Watts, The Washington Post, Politico, Mother Jones, which did at least 14 Hamilton 68 stories, the Alliance for Securing Democracy and the offices of politicians like Dianne Feinstein all refused comment unless this counts. And he has a screenshot of a tweet response from the Alliance for Securing Democracy that simply says, you can find information describing Hamilton 68's methodology published in 2017 and 2018 here, and they link to their own website. That is their only response to this, I guess, to somehow claim that they were actually doing something legitimate and good, even though there is absolutely no proof of that. And Twitter's own records prove that to be true. This was an academic scandal as well as Harvard, Princeton, Temple, NYU, George Washington University and other universities promoted Hamilton 68 as a source. And this is particularly interesting in light of Donald Trump's statement on censorship that he made toward the end of December last year, where he talked about how all organizations that had been involved in the censorship regime would be held accountable and could have their federal funding taken away. He mentions universities specifically. This is a good place to start. Perhaps most embarrassingly, elected officials promoted the site and invited Hamilton experts to testify. Dianne Feinstein, James Lankford, who is an Oklahoma Republican, by the way, Richard Blumenthal, Adam Schiff, and Mark Warner were among the offenders. 
The mix of digital McCarthyism and fraud did great damage to American politics and culture. News outlets that don't disavow these stories or still pay Hamilton vets as analysts shouldn't be trusted. Every subscriber to those outlets should write to editors about the issue. And I have to say, I do appreciate that stance from Taibbi at the end there. That is one of the more powerful statements that's been made throughout this Twitter files saga. He is right. These media outlets should not be trusted because they cannot be trusted. They have never done anything that warrants their trust. They are just these traditional legacy brands that we all grew up with, imagining that their work justifies their own prominence. And it's not just a, a brand. I mean, Washington Post and the New York Times are essentially like the McDonald's and Burger King of newspapers. They're just these old American brands. And it doesn't matter how low grade or toxic their product becomes. They're still OK because we've known them for so long. But once you strip the branding away and you just look at the product, well, the product's not very good and you can get comparable products elsewhere that are much better for you. At some point, we have to hope that people do realize this in a very real way. And hopefully it's instances like this that push them closer to understanding that these news organizations are not trying to tell you the truth so that you can better guide your life. They are trying to disseminate the agenda and the slogans, the narratives of the regime, so that everyone will accept those stories and then go along with whatever the regime has in mind. How many more aspects of the central narrative over the last seven and a half years since Donald Trump has come down the escalator were directly affected by all of this sort of censorship and information manipulation and propagandizing. Every issue intersects with this issue, including, and maybe most importantly, the public's understanding of who Donald Trump is, what he has done, and what he actually represents. Now, Taibbi released a follow-up piece because Hamilton 68 responded. So this is Hamilton 68 brief addendum from racket.news. Hamilton 68 responded to a Twitter files thread Friday with a series of claims, including that their site was always intended to be understood as nuanced, that they always maintained that witting or unwitting accounts could be on their list and that, quote, some accounts we track are automated bots, some are trolls and some are real users. OK, they could also have inserted the disclaimer added to the new Hamilton 2.0 page which as a helpful reader noted this morning includes in red font, a blaring warning to all that it would be incorrect to label anyone or anything that appears on their dashboard as quote, being connected to state backed propaganda. And yeah, that's quite a disclaimer when you use all your information to assert that these accounts are backed by state propaganda. So they're going to say that all the accounts are Russian bot accounts, Russian state propaganda spreading accounts. But you should take note that just because we're saying they are doesn't mean they actually are. And yeah, that does sound like it would be important to know. Thank heaven for the Wayback Machine. Here's what was written on the original Hamilton page. 
These accounts were selected for their relationship to Russian sponsored influence and disinformation campaigns and not because of any domestic political content. We have monitored these data sets for months in order to verify their relevance to Russian disinformation programs targeting the United States. This will provide a resource for journalists to appropriately identify Russian sponsored information campaigns. High on that original page, the Hamilton founders explained they monitored two types of accounts. There are two components to the dashboard featured here. The first section, overt promotion of content, highlights trending content from Twitter accounts for media outlets known to be controlled by the Russian government. The second section, content tweeted by bots and trolls, highlights themes being pushed by Twitter accounts linked to Russian influence campaigns. And so the only link necessary is that they're saying some things that could be construed in similar ways. And therefore, because that information is not the approved information, it must be some sort of Russian influence campaign. The Hamilton list tracked overt Russian media on the one hand and bots and trolls on the other. Note the difference between that language and the language Friday. Some accounts we track are automated bots, some are trolls, and some are real users. That Hamilton Friday was also trying to distance itself from headlines about bots is particularly grotesque given that it was so overt in identifying the composition of its list this way at the start. I encourage everyone to read language from the original site, which he links, then look at Friday's ironically named fact sheet and compare for yourselves. Finally, I want to note a passage from the Friday fact sheet I somehow overlooked. Individual accounts were algorithmically selected based on analytic techniques developed by J.M. Berger that were used to identify the most influential accounts within those networks. The Hamilton 68 team did not individually review or verify all accounts because the focus of the dashboard was to analyze behavior in aggregate networks, not specific accounts. Translating. Individual accounts were chosen through a method developed by J.M. Berger, a writer and think tanker whose usual specialty is extremism. He's written about ISIS and domestic white nationalism in the United States. Still, it wasn't even Berger's fault that ordinary Americans ended up in the list since said people were chosen algorithmically. The Hamilton 68 team also did not individually review or verify all the names because their focus was aggregate networks, not specific accounts. So nobody looked at the list. The list was, quote, the fruit of more than three years of observation and monitoring, end quote. So again, for years and years, we have heard about how dissenting opinions are somehow helpful to Russia and therefore are Russian. Russia is their boogeyman. They can attach everything to Russia and say it's very bad. Now they do the same thing with QAnon and anti-vaxxer and a number of other labels. But the Russian propaganda thing, the Russian bot thing, the Russian influence thing, they've gotten a lot of mileage out of these over the last seven and a half years. And one of the main sources, the primary source for all these stories about the Russian influence campaigns, that was Hamilton 68. And now we know from research people have done over the last couple of years, but now we know in the public conversation through the Twitter files releases that all of this was based on nothing. Twitter themselves couldn't even verify 
that what these reporters were saying about what Hamilton 68 was saying was actually true in any way. In fact, Twitter's own information showed that it wasn't true and that fact was ignored. And Twitter, for their part, did not do anything to disclose it themselves. And why? Well, they told you why. Because they were scared of the Alliance for Securing Democracy. Now, Donald Trump made a couple of speeches over the weekend, first in New Hampshire and then in South Carolina. And as most people who follow politics know, these are two traditionally early primary states. Now, there has been some movement to rearrange the primary schedule, and it's hard not to get the sense that some of that is done to manipulate the public narrative throughout the 2024 primaries. If they can change the primary schedule around and start the primary season in states where they might be able to rig elections against Donald Trump and elevate another candidate, for instance, Ron DeSantis, then that might be the regime's strategy and why the discussion about the reorganization of the primary calendar was happening in the first place. It seems that Donald Trump is out there just heading that right off at the pass, getting in on the ground in New Hampshire, guaranteeing they will still be the first in the country primary and that South Carolina will be the first in the South primary. And Donald Trump went to both places to meet with the new GOP chair in New Hampshire and to meet with what he calls his leadership team in South Carolina, which includes an array of prominent South Carolina politicians, including Lindsey Graham. And of course, the DeSantis Simps and conservative incorporated people on Twitter are trying to take Trump down for aligning with Lindsey Graham because everybody knows Lindsey Graham is a bad guy. And that's fine. Everybody knows Lindsey Graham is a bad guy. He is pushing the Ukraine war forward. He's got all sorts of corruption and dealings in the past. He was like John McCain's sidekick. There's a lot of things you can be worried about with Lindsey Graham. He is about his establishment as they come. But Donald Trump is playing a bigger game. We don't need Donald Trump to just uh, diss everybody that we don't like. He can be close to Lindsey Graham to use Lindsey Graham and to control Lindsey Graham because Lindsey Graham still matters in some sense without getting these attacks from these weird places on the, you know, MAGA friendly ish, right? Oh, Donald Trump's not America first anymore because he's uh, making an alliance with Lindsey Graham. Well, yeah, it could be that, or it could be Donald Trump parading Lindsey Graham in front of the establishment and saying, look, I have one of your main guys formally and publicly under control and endorsing me. And the strangest claim of all from these quarters that seems to be emerging is that they are trying to attack Donald Trump on not being MAGA enough, not doing enough for the people, for the America first voters. They tried to do the same thing with the narrative about the RNC chair and people can be as upset about Ronna McDaniel as they want, but there's no reason to believe that Harmeet Dillon was going to be some kind of savior. She can't even speak honestly and openly about election fraud and election theft in our country. And hey, maybe if she had gotten the job, she would have come around and she would have done a fine job. I'm not saying this to slight Harmeet Dillon, but that's not like some positive, sure thing outcome that makes it worth getting upset about the Ronna McDaniel thing. If you're upset about the Ronna McDaniel thing, just stop giving your money to the RNC. We don't need the RNC. 
Donald Trump has enough money coming in to his own uh, political groups. He's going to be able to fund campaigns around the country. His endorsement is the most powerful endorsement in the country. And if the RNC is actually captured by the GOP elite globalist establishment, then we can just simply begin ignoring the RNC and focusing our attention more on Donald Trump and America first and what he's going to build out for whatever campaign apparatus needs to exist and becomes necessary for 2024. I am more than happy to let Donald Trump lead that charge and have the RNC diminished to whatever level it needs to be diminished. We don't need to get upset about all of these things and react to them right away. There is something bigger taking place here, and I think that people are beginning to understand that. Donald Trump has one plan. Donald Trump is the one person we know who is fully against this globalist, global communist agenda and against the regime. That is why they are still trying to destroy him. They go after Donald Trump harder than they go after anyone. There is a reason for that. From the regime's perspective, who would you rather take your chances with? Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis? Well, Donald Trump has his entire movement behind him. And Ron DeSantis is basically the candidate for people who are mostly or kind of Republican, who are half awake, who understand that a bunch of these issues really are real and are important. And then somehow they just think Ron DeSantis is more likable or more well-spoken, or he doesn't have all the problems Donald Trump has, or your problems with Ron DeSantis pale in comparison to these actual problems with Donald Trump. But no, they don't. Everybody knows what they're getting with Trump and what they're getting is the greatest champion for America. He is the number one fighter for the cause by far. There is no reason to think that replacing him with someone who is still relatively unknown would be a good idea while Donald Trump is available. Again, maybe Ron DeSantis is the guy in 2028. I'm not sure about that. But if he is, if he emerges that way, if he emerges as being an ally of Trump's and America first this entire time, then I am more than happy to support Ron DeSantis. But we're not there now. And any conversation about it is utterly absurd. We don't actually need to settle out all the differences between Trump and DeSantis when it comes to covid or the vaccines or lockdowns or masks or anything else. We know from the big picture perspective that Donald Trump is a giant fighting for America first, and Ron DeSantis is doing a decent job as governor of Florida. Those are simply not the same things. And until Ron DeSantis is out there talking about how elections are stolen, I'm not even going to trust that he's doing a great job as governor of Florida. Sorry, that's how it is. That's the number one most important issue in America, period. And so I'll leave you with this. This is South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster and unlike the DeSantis simps online and people like Lindsey Graham, McMaster sounds like he actually does understand what's going on. I'll let you decide for yourself. As you have noticed, this crowd loves you. People all over the state. And that's because we believe in common sense. 
We believe in the Declaration of Independence. We believe in the Constitution. We believe in the Bible. And we believe in you. Real quick, y'all. want to welcome everybody here. And it, it occurred to me as, as the president was talking and I was thinking about what was happening is we know that sometimes the Lord moves in mysterious ways. Might go one way to come back another later. Well, here we are. But when Donald Trump was president, America was soaring, soaring. Records everywhere. More strength, more respect. Our enemies were petrified. Our friends were comforted. And then we had an election and everything changed. But since then, the people have clearly seen the damage that can be done by an administration and leaders who do not believe in the goodness and greatness of America. They have shown their true colors, and now we have their playbook. We know who they are. I have never heard so many people out there quoting Pete Townsend of the Who, who said, we won't get fooled again. <laughs> and we're coming. We're coming back stronger than before, and in November 2024, we will re-elect Donald Trump, and we will see a burst of freedom and prosperity unlike any we have ever seen before. We follow you all the way. Thank you. That is a man who sounds like he understands what's happening beneath the surface. And I love at the end how he says, we'll follow you all the way. And Trump, for his part, sounds ready. The detractors online trying to make the argument that Trump supporters should leave Trump because Trump is not America first enough while they ignore election fraud. They pretend that Donald Trump has lost steam, that he's not in the fight, that he's not really going after it. Donald Trump answered them on Saturday. They're running our country right into the ground. They're destroying our country. To save America, we need a leader who is prepared to take on the forces laying waste to our country. And we need a president who is ready to hit the ground running on day one. And I hear, boy, am I hitting the ground. You know, I said... The fake news, we have a lot of news today. Some of it's fake, but some, some of it actually are very good. Some I'm very impressed with. But they said, uh, when I announced, I just want to put my cards in the table. Like, you know, we're playing that very big game right now, the biggest game of all, because it involves the country and the survival of the United States of America. But when I, uh, when I put the cards on, and then I said, all right, let's go. They said, he's not campaigning. This is like about... A month ago when I announced, well, I said, you know, I got two years. They said, he's not doing rallies. He's not campaigning. Maybe he's lost that step. Uh, we didn't. I'm more angry now and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Cause... He's putting his cards on the table. It's a big game, the biggest game of all. He's more angry now and he's more committed now than he ever was. So it doesn't sound like Donald Trump is going anywhere and people can rant and rave about Ron DeSantis all day long. It's not going to make a damn bit of difference. Every bit of information that's coming out ensures that our country every day will see that they were lied to about Donald Trump and who he is and what he's done and what he intends to do. And as that continues 
the momentum will continue to shift in his direction. There is no argument to be made for Ron DeSantis and the people trying to make it don't have a good one that they can competently make. We know what the stakes are and no one knows them better than Donald Trump. He is operating at a level that we cannot fully understand. It's just simply not possible based on our information. So to suggest, as these people do online, that somehow Donald Trump is not the most America first, that Donald Trump is doing wrong things, wrong things according to what? Wrong things according to his plan? No, it's his plan. Or it is a plan created and executed by him and some other people. But they're still executing a plan. He's not out there making mistakes that harm America first. He's the leader of America first. It's not about how we feel in our initial reactions to every single thing that happens. We don't need to blow these issues up out of proportion. Every time something is slightly wrong, we're like, oh, God, I don't know about Donald Trump. Really? Why don't you apply that standard to every other politician in the world and then reassess Donald Trump based on what you find? The picture looks a lot different at that point. We should all be happy that he is still fighting. And as McMaster says, we'll follow you all the way. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash imyourmoderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 
and I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!